My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. This episode of the Holocene Podcast is sponsored by our magazine. You can go online right now and purchase issue one and even get a special discount using code PODCAST to receive 15% off at checkout. Today, I am joined by fellow brother, Kellen Brown. Kellen Brown is a recent graduate of DePaul University in Chicago and currently serves as a military intelligence officer for the U.S. Army. He graduated summa cum laude with a political science degree from DePaul, along with Russian language, and is planning on attending law school in the coming years. Kellen was involved in many different areas in college, especially the Sigma Chi fraternity, where he was recently awarded the International Balfour Award, or IBA. And I'm going to take a pause right here and, and say that I met Kellen through Sigma Chi, and I was one of the people that really pushed him to go for the IBA, and I could not be more prouder of this accomplishment. And for people that don't know out there, the IBA is basically the second most recognized national collegiate award after the Heisman. And I'm not kidding. The IBA recognizes the fraternity's most outstanding graduating senior among all chapters in the United States and Canada. Kellen is from Chicago and traveling often now, but is soon moving to Seattle to start his first assignment in the military. I hope you all enjoy this conversation between myself and Kellen Brown. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Kellen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I start off every podcast by asking the same question, which is what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? When I wake up in the morning, uh, what I have to do for the rest of the day, for the most part. And, and kind of walk me through that. Like, is that, is, is it, is it focused on making sure you get everything done, making sure that the right things happen in order or what? Yeah. So, um, it's usually like, oh, sorry. I think I cut out for you. Um, yeah. I, so usually like kind of trying to think through, um, how can I like, depending on what I have to do for the day, like here, for example, um, you know, how can I be the most successful in what I have to get done? I'll think about, um, things that I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, just to try to keep you going in the morning. I'm like not a morning person. So I need the like most positive things to think of in the morning. Um, but yeah, it's usually, uh, what do I have to get done for the day? And what can I look forward to after I get everything done? I'm very like detail oriented. So I usually stick to that once I wake up. Okay. Do you, does, has that changed since college or what, what has really been like the catalyzing change or the basis of kind of change of improvement, so to speak? So like what, how is your goals in terms of what to get done on a day-to-day basis changed in the past year, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, I was always kind of that same way in college too. It was like the thing that kept me on track. Um, I mean, what's changed since then, like, I don't know, like where I'm at right now, I don't have as many responsibilities as I did in college, but like back then, even a year ago, it was like just trying to juggle so many different things at once. Um, and you know, I was always like, I used to be really good at 
just like keeping track by memory and like of everything that I had to do. And now I, I it's not, if there's too many things, like I had to start writing and, and really keeping a detailed planner and stuff. And that's kind of what happened a year ago, but just because of where I am now, like at Fort Knox, my, like, I don't have the same amount of responsibilities that I had even senior year of college. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it ebbs and flows, but yeah. So a couple things to break down there that I want to dive deeper yeah. into. So first is you mentioned that you use a planner. Is that something like, do you use an app on your phone or using like an actual physical paper planner? No, I write it all down. I, I always find like, I think it's a true thing. Like when people say, if you do everything on your phone, like it's, it's so easy to get distracted. Um, and I know like they're super organized planners on apps and stuff that make it easier mm -hmm. for you. But I don't know. I always find like, I like to carry to have that in my backpack and to write it all down. Uh, and then, you know, then I know that it's just mine to see and it can be as messy or as detailed as I want it to be. Um, and I think the act of just sitting there and writing it down and like looking at it on a piece of paper when it's not on the screen can be a lot more helpful too, just in terms of like focusing in terms of like timelines, like how long do I have to get this done and things like that. I always just find that writing it is better. Sure. That was, it was really interesting because, you know, you are what, 22, 23 years old? 22, um, yeah. 22. And like I, the amount of people that I know that use paper planners under the age of 60, <laughs> I think, I think you're the only one. Um, only because yeah. I think that, as you said, the ubiquity of, of apps that, that can do that for you. Is that something that, you know, I, so, so one thing you said that I want to keep people into is that you're at Fort Knox right now. So we'll go into at some point, you know, your military service and, and why you chose to mm -hmm. go down this path and why you're on this podcast to begin with. Um, yeah. but do you find that other people in the military are also using some kind of like paper planning system or is there like a military based system that you can rely on? Or like, how does that work for making sure you do like your day to day tasks for the military? No, not at all. And that's kind of the interesting thing. Like it really depends on the person. I know a lot of people that don't keep planners at all, even though they should. Um, yeah, so that's should. pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty common theme. Uh, a lot of people do on their phone. Like, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say that every once in a while, like I use the reminders app on my phone every once mm -hmm. in a while too, but it's just nice to have that whole detailed thing where I can cross something out and I can update and change. Um, but no, with the army, like, uh, everyone, like you, you kind of have to carry around a pen and paper. Like it's like part of the uniform. It's almost required. Um, and if you don't, people will be like, why are you not prepared? Because you always mm -hmm. have to be prepared to not have your phone, but whenever anyone does have their phone, it's, it's electronic, you know, but I also know, yeah, I know a lot of people that do not keep a, a detailed schedule, even though they really should. But I just mm -hmm. find that the paper make, keeps me more organized and I always carry it. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's certain things that like the military doesn't want you having on your phone. You know, you're not going to be able to put top secret information in your reminders app to, to yeah. remind you to get it done later, right? <laughs> yeah. um, which, which is which is important. Um, so to, to kind of back, let, let's take, take a couple steps back. So um you know, I've mentioned this many times in this podcast. Um, you know, I'm a member of the Simakai fraternity. I'm very, very involved at international level. Um, it has mm -hmm. done a hell of a lot for me and my personal development, career development. Um, and you and I met because you were actually consul or president of one of the chapters that I was overseeing in my province. Um, yeah. And you and I didn't really know each other that well during that time. I think we interacted a couple times, but we were both, you know, busy with, I was busy with work and mm -hmm. other Simakai things. You're busy with school and military ROTC. So I guess for, for people listening, um, 
And I'm going to ask this question and we're going to kind of go backwards from like what you're doing now. And then we're going to work backwards as to like where, what got you to this exact point yeah. and like why you made the decision. So to start off, like how would you describe your day-to-day -day work and what you're trying to do now to like an eight-year-old version of yourself? Um, so I, right now I'm pretty much still a brand new officer, um, in the army. I am just basically working kind of a temporary assignment, uh, training other cadets. So people that, you know, are only a year or two younger than I am, um, which is kind of an interesting position to be in, but this is only temporary. Um, and then I am an intelligence officer now. So once I finish training for that, I I'll be doing, um, you know, all kinds of, uh, data and tactical intelligence related stuff. That's not going to work for an eight year old. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm just a, a brand new junior Lieutenant in the army. That's, that's pretty much what I'm doing right now, but I'm stationed at Fort Knox and I only have about two weeks left here. And then I get to go to Arizona, which is much better. And just for people that might not know, like what does being an intelligence officer entail? So, uh, where I'm at now at the, at the junior, you know, at the junior officer level, um, basically I, I'm going to be put into an army unit somewhere in the United States. Um, and I will be basically in a section that specifically focuses only on intelligence, uh, for whatever unit I'm in. So for example, um, I'm going to, uh, uh, a combat engineer battalion. So, uh, basically people that blow things up in combat bridges and things like mm -hmm. that. And my job within that unit is just to gather intelligence for them. Um, you know, were the United States to, to go to war, I would be kind of like the, it's like the lowest level ground level intelligence. Um, so for example, my, my unit rotates to South Korea, usually once every two years. Um, and so once I'm there, it's like, you know, gathering intelligence in case, uh, you know, war were to happen with North Korea and, and China and things like that. Um, and just trying to prepare that unit the best they can for the job that they need to perform. If that makes sense. That makes very sense. And yeah. you, and it's usually common that intelligence officers usually focus on a different language uh, for a certain theater of war, right? Yeah. So it, it's not like language skills for me. It's definitely, it's not a required skill to have to be an intelligence officer. It's just something that kind of gives you a leg up. Um, and the interesting thing is like, I, I speak Russian. I'm by no means completely fluent, um, but I'm, I'm pretty, pretty solid at it, I would say. And I, I got assigned to a unit in Washington that focuses solely on the Pacific. So China and North Korea. And so I guess Russian would apply there a little bit, but it's not like I'm going to Europe where that I can really use that. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. And so, Mandarin so is much harder. Yeah. But I feel like you're, <laughs> you're, you're somewhat of a polyglot. So eventually I feel like you might pick it up just out of, out of boredom. I'd, or interest. I'd like to. Yeah. Um, so going back to, you know, even before college, did you know walking into school that you wanted to join ROTC or was this like a decision you made when you got exposed to it or how, how did that whole process come to be? So it didn't really happen until I was in high school. Um, when I was a kid, I like just didn't, like, I didn't really know any better. And I thought the army was like the coolest thing in the world. I don't, neither of my parents served. I have a long like family history apart from my parents though. Um, so I, I never really had like direct exposure to it. It was always kind of like historical and hearing stories and this and that. Um, but when I was younger, like I always knew that I wanted to do some sort of career in government or public service of some way. And then I got into high school, kind of still felt that way. And then I think it was junior year of high school. I like 
realized how much it was about to cost me to go to college and that like I grew up with a single mom I, I lived with my mom in, in high school and like realized that I was going to have to take out thousands of dollars of loans in order to put myself through college because uh, my parents weren't going to do it and so then I was like oh wait if I if I do this thing that I was already interested in also it's going to pay for all or most of my college yeah. which it did so then um I, when I was a senior, I, I should have done it earlier, honestly, because what happened to me was I, I waited until I like that summer where I enrolled in college to even like go and join and approach them. And if mm -hmm. I had done it earlier in high school, you could have applied for scholarships in high school that would have paid for all four years of college. And since I waited too long, I only got three years of my four paid for. So that was a mistake on my part, but um, that was kind of how, once, once I was older in high school, I was like, yeah, okay, this is what I want to do. And you don't have to choose whether to do full-time or part-time until you're already in college. So like, I didn't, cool. it's not like I had to make a life or death decision. Like, oh, I, I have to do this the rest. It wasn't like that. I didn't decide that until later. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it happened. Hmm. And then in, in that kind of same vein, you know, with, ROTC officers, you usually get assigned roles and most people get their first choice unless they're, you know, like pilot slots, probably the most competitive slots. But is, was it was an intelligence officer? Was that the role that you wanted and you like applied for or like designated that you wanted? Or was that just where you were placed? Yeah, it is what I wanted. So as cadets, basically the entire four years, you are like always rated on a merit list and you're always competing with your peers to get what you want. And so by being rated, like it's based off of your GPA in college, uh, how well you perform on physical fitness tests, the extra extracurriculars that you participate in, the more the better, because you get points for all of them. So they want to see like well-rounded leaders who don't only do ROTC and a lot of people only do ROTC. And so yeah. you're much better off, you know, involving yourself all over the place instead of just doing, uh, you know, being a cadet alone. And so, um, I was really kind of like dedicated in college. I loved it. And I, I totally overextend myself. I did too many things, but you know, that actually that helped in the end and it worked out. Um, and so I was able to get intelligence. A lot of times people have to like do what's called like a detail for intelligence where they have to do the army kind of forces them to do another job for a few years and then they can do what they want, like intelligence. Mm -hmm. But I was lucky enough and I, I did enough that I was able to just get it straight up so that I could go straight into it. And the same thing with duty station, you're always competing for where you want to go. Um, I got assigned to uh, a base right outside of Seattle. That's my first duty station. And that's what I asked for. So I got pretty lucky on both ends for sure. That's super cool. Um, and then part of one of those extracurriculars, the, you know, the, the vehicle to which we met was Sigma Chi. Mm -hmm. Uh, when did, when did you, did you walk into school, uh, like thinking or with the desire to join a fraternity or was that just something that kind of cropped up and you just, you know, right place, right time? Or what, what, what was your kind of Sid McKay uh, founding story? Yeah, not at all. I didn't plan it at all. Um, I, it just totally was right place, right time for me. When I was in high school, like I didn't know much about college. I didn't really know how fraternity and sorority life worked. And I was always like, you know, my friends and I was always like, that's not me. Like, I'm never going to, I'm not going to be like that because there was there's like a stereotype, you know, and mm -hmm. it's oftentimes it's not true. Um, and I, I didn't find that out until a lot later. But when I was a freshman, I uh, I went to DePaul, you know, in Chicago and most of my that wasn't far away from home for me. It's only 30 minutes from the suburbs. And so most of my friends were still people I knew from high school who had also gone there. Um, and I was kind of in this like 
like I wasn't really happy. Like I, I wanted new friends. I was, I felt like I was kind of stuck in the same, mm. you know, sphere that I didn't want to be in anymore. Um, and it took months, you know, and then, so I had a, a good friend that I actually met through DePaul who had not gone to my high school freshman year and it was winter. I, I was not a fall um, recruitment person. And he was, my friend was going to an event uh, for Sigma Chi and he was like, Hey, you should come with me and try this. And I was like, I was, I was pretty hesitant because I had no idea what I was going into. Um, but I was like, you know what, you know, fine. I think I talked to my parents before and they were like, you need to just go and try it and see. And so I went and uh, I lo- like, there was like an immediate connection. It was like the people I met right away were exactly not what I had expected. They were the opposite, super outgoing and friendly. It was easy to have a conversation. They seemed to like me just as much as I liked them. Uh, and I, I never even looked anywhere else. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on this. And then I went to a few more events and it was like, I, I was fortunate enough to, you know, to receive a bid. And, and that was, it went like that. Everything happened so fast after that, but yeah, it was, it was right place, right time. That's awesome. Um, and I think it's pretty common that, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, like my experience is very similar. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, some people come in with a desire too, but I've learned that like most Sigma Chi's are the kind of people that have zero desire yeah. or knowledge of what a fraternity was and just listen to stereotypes mm-hmm. and then just fell into it. And I think that's why we have this pretty diverse member base that's not focused on social or extracurriculars or just parting your face off the entire time. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. um, which is, which is interesting. Um, so, so were you initiated or recruited by like the Tom Pye era of, of like EC or was it, um, who was, who was running the chapter at the time when you got in there? So it was Tom at the time. It was kind of an interesting dynamic. I, when I was a pledge, uh, you know, it was in, it was winter. So, you know, there were only like 10 of us in the fall at DePaul. It's usually like, you know, over 20 or around there, but the winter classes are always about half. And so I think there were nine of us. Um, and you like the, the thing about that is you have no idea when you're pledging, like if the chapter does a good job, you know, like Tom did, you don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And, at the time when I was a pledge, he, there was so much drama and yeah. in, infighting and immaturity, you know, you, you know, all about I it. I know all about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so just, just so much immaturity. And I didn't, we didn't see any of that. I had no idea that that was going on. And I didn't even know that it had gone on really until like months after I had already been initiated into the chapter. And so I think, I think that's a testament to, you know, the few people who were really leading and, and, you know, being present and, and, doing their jobs to the best of their ability. Um, but yeah, so it, it's like technically it is the Tom Pai era. Um, but like it also part of it was, was prior and I never really knew the people prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of an interesting time to come in, but they, they did an incredible job of keeping us insulated from, from that drama, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking of which, you know, Tom was the chapter and province Balfour winner. Um, yep for that and that is something that you were as well and uh mm-hmm. you know i was you and i were both lucky enough to attend uh you know the croc transformation leadership workshop which is a big you know every summer uh hundreds yeah. and hundreds of active brothers and alumni come together to uh learn different leadership skills through different actually accredited um leadership programs mm-hmm. um but at every event they basically announced the the, I, the iba or the international balfour award winner or the, or the person who is of all the chapters in the country um that basically embodies what it means to be a sid mckay and is basically the spokesperson for the fraternity at that level for really two years part of the executive committee involved with everything 
and and this year it's you right which is which is something that i still don't think you've quite like <laughs> internalized or accepted or i mean because I, I, I remember the, the first few hours after you won we went out we all had a good time you were yeah. still like shell shocked like I, th- I think you yeah. felt like you were dreaming right um yeah what, what has has it kind of um has it has it sunk in more has it become more real like what is what is the kind of mindset you have now yeah, just a little. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I have this weird, like the way that I process things is kind of weird. I've always like tried to be, you know, as like, as like modest and kind of detached as I can be. Yeah. Like I, You're I've super had, humble. So <laughs> yeah. I, I mean so that. I, I, and, and I, and I think like, I think that's a, I'm not sure where it came from for me, but I think that's a really important thing. Like when it comes to getting ahead and and being successful, like you can't, it has to be, it's just better off that way. But yeah, I, I have, I've processed it a little bit more, maybe not entirely. Um, and I don't know how much of a good thing that is, but like, I've definitely processed and recognized the responsibility of it and how fortunate I am to be entrusted with that. But like, Oh, I'm the, the top person of all the chapters. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's also like, it's such a, like a close knit kind of, you know, race, like there are so many other people that are just as qualified as I am. So I'm, I'm fortunate and I, I hope to give as much as I can to the EC and I intend to. Um, but like, you know, Tom, for example, my best friend was a, a provincial winner and he like, when I was sitting there interviewing and like, and going through this process and trying to really immerse myself and be myself in the interview, I was sitting there thinking like, like he, he would have killed it in this interview. He would have done an incredible job and been just as deserved. Like, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's very like this, this fraternity produces, it's an organization that produces like off the charts, incredible leaders and people. And I think that, you know, and and I felt bad to have to narrow it down to one person is just like almost feels insane to me, but yeah, I, I have uh, processed it a little more. I'm, I'm super grateful for it. Good. Well, we're, uh, you know, happy to, I'm, I was happy to see it and I think you're doing yeah. the best job. And I know most people listening probably have zero idea what, what, uh, what we're talking about or what it means, but I would just convert it to saying like, basically like this is, um, from a institutional standpoint, um, from a global recognition standpoint, from a business standpoint, I mean, it's considered to be, I don't know if you knew this, but like the second most recognized collegiate award after the Heisman, um, just to kind of put it in context I, for people oh that, gosh, that, that I, aren't. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. just, just so you know, um, cause it's something that is, is, is paid, is, is recognized. And, you know, I think that we're, we're happy to have someone yeah. and it's it usually, you know, people come from, there's, there are doctors and people in finance and people who are going into the military like you, and it's just all mm-hmm. across the board and, you know, not, not, to, not to, not to suck too much into it. Um, my last kind of, so that means you were initiated in right before COVID then, right? Like, right. Like, yep. Yeah, I was at that initiation. Yeah, that's fun. Yes, yeah. I remember. Yeah, that's yeah. the most interesting part. I I had a week of normal school right after I was initiated, and then that was it. Yeah, wow. Because so. I remember, I remember it was right after that things locked down. How did so? I I think you're the one of the first people in a while that I've had in the podcast that was in school before and mm-hmm. really after COVID. Um, yeah. So you, so you at least like had a bit of a normal quote unquote yeah. college experience. Then you locked down. Then you got back to being open. So yeah. how, how, how was it like for you? Like, like, what do you, do you think you, you benefited from it? Do you think it was a value add, a value loss? Like you seem someone that can kind of like, you know, you, you boom or planted. So, you know, what was the experience like for you? 
Yeah, I think I'm I'm in that interesting year group where there I'm really the only year group where we got a normal year and or part of a normal year and then it happened, you know, for everyone else it was either mm-hmm. one or the other. Um it it was like I I mean, it feels like forever ago now, but uh I mean, I was still I was 19 I had just turned 19. I had to move home. Um you know, I again I mentioned single parent, I had to move back home with my mom. Um, and I had never expected to have to do that again. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, I'm an independent college student. I finally moved out of the house. Like, you know, yeah. I, I, I've done it and I had to go back and it was just like, it was the weirdest thing ever. And just like, not even to, it, you know, that was such an interesting time. Like just the politics of it all. And, and, you know, it, it got, you know, it, it broke up a lot of, you know, families and relationships and friendships sure. and it got, you know, it got stressful for a while there. Um, basically what happened was I spent, I think six or seven months back at, at home in the suburbs. And then I, you know, things were getting a little bit more normal. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't live at home. And so I, I had mentioned this was after I had, I had joined Sigma Chi, but I still had those high school friends. And so, uh, you know, a few of us wanted to live together and we wanted to move back down to the city, back to Chicago. And so we did that in that late summer of 2020, um, but everything was still online for the almost the entire next year because COVID would just kind of keep going up and down uh, each month. And so they never actually committed to, you know, back to being in person again. So we were living in the city and paying the rent and everything, but we weren't actually going to in-person class, <laughs> um, which sucked. But the cool thing about the army during that time was that like, we were kind of an exception. So we would have to wear masks, but we could still get together and like work out and do, you know, mm-hmm. army training and stuff. So I had a bit of an outlet, but I was doing zoom class from my apartment in the city every day. Yeah. Um, which was interesting. Uh, you know, like doing college on zoom was easier for sure. Um, for everyone, I think, but you don't, you don't learn as much. It's not the same, no. you know, it's, it's not such a, uh, a two-way experience. And so that's happened sophomore year. And then finally junior year, like things started to really get normal. And that was when I kind of like really came into the chapter and came into college. Junior year was the best year of college. That was when I was consul too. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when it all kind of came together for me. And junior year, we still had like moments where, oh, we have to wear masks for this because COVID was bad that week or whatever it may be. And then senior year was like totally normal. So I was fortunate to have both. It would have been much worse worse to be a college senior and have that happen or a high school mm-hmm. senior, you know what I mean? So, you know, you got to take it for what it is, but it it yeah, it worked out in the end. So, I mean, do you you it sounds like you don't regret then spending all that money for an apartment with your friends in the city. It sounds like that was one of the best decisions you made in college. It was. Yeah, I mean, I don't I I, I didn't even really think about it like that until you said it, but yeah, I mean, it it just you know, just to have like the camaraderie, I guess, like those were my good friends. They weren't in the chapter with me, but, mm-hmm. uh, well, one of them was, but, um, you know, I like, I was in the city and everyone else was there too. The people, the guys who were older in the chapter, like Tom and, and Trent and them. Mm-hmm. And so it, that was one of the best decisions I made because it kept me connected to the chapter instead of being stuck in the suburbs. You know what I mean? Totally. There were a lot of guys during COVID, especially at DePaul who decided to stay home and they, they saved money for it. Absolutely. But they were disconnected from the friends that they had just made right before COVID hit. You know what I mean? And yeah. so living down there gave me a chance. Like, you know, I was hanging out in small groups of friends. I wasn't doing anything crazy. So I was, you know, it was safe. It was okay. Um, and so, you know, guys would come over to my new apartment and and so, and so on and so forth. And so it gave me like that, that 
sophomore year where I decided to stay downtown, even with COVID gave me the foundation for junior year, because then I went into junior year already with like really strong friends in, in the chapter that I didn't have when I was a freshman. So it really kind of set me up for success junior and senior year, you know? Mm. So you've, you've mentioned your mom a few times. How is your relationship with your mom and, and how has that kind of impacted your growth over the past, you know, I guess through high school, college and now? It's incredible. I'm, I'm so lucky. I, um, I kind of have an interesting dynamic with my parents. Um, you know, I, I always grew up with a, with a single mom. My, my dad is around too. Um, when I was a kid for most of my childhood, my dad was addicted to drugs and that didn't really change until, until I was, I think a, a sophomore or a junior in high school was when he really got clean. And so, you know, it, it was kind of a rocky childhood. I'd seen a lot between my two parents. Um, but my mother is an incredible woman. I, I don't know how she's as strong as she is and has been. I, I think, um, you know, my, my dad really came into the picture when I was in high school and really like, like had a huge part in molding me into the man that I am now. Absolutely. But, you know, my mom, like my mom did it from the beginning. Um, and I think a lot of the person that I am can be credited to her. Um, so she still lives in Chicago. Um, we try to see each other as much as we can. Now it's changed with the army and stuff, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, she always worked in the city too. So like I went to school at DePaul and which was amazing because my parents were not far away. Um, and we would see each other a lot, but yeah, she is, um, one of the hardest working people I know. I think a lot of my personality and kind of character traits come from her. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm really, really fortunate to have, you know, despite all of the things as a kid and everything that happened, like now my relationship with both of my parents, not just my mom is like as strong as it's ever been. We, we talk every day, sometimes multiple times a day. I don't have siblings. So that kind of puts me in a weird spot, mm -hmm. um, just because of growing up with a single mom and, and, but only being the only child kind of like made my dad really want to be involved too. Cause it was just, just me. And so. Yeah, it, it's been interesting, but you know that experience has kind of shaped the person I am. I think so. Yeah, it's with her though. It's it's amazing. Fantastic. So, did when you won the IBA, did they did they kind of grasp what that was, or like did they kind of based off of how excited you were, or what what was their reaction to that? Yeah, I try to like I try to keep them like attuned with everything that's going on with me as much as I can, and I'll explain, mm -hmm. you know. And um, I think like you know we we just talked about me being too humble or modest, and that they <laughs> like they, I think some, a lot of times the two of them grasp what something means a lot more than I might, and so mm -hmm. it's nice to have their perspective. Like, hey, do you do you understand like what just happened to you? Um, and that's kind of what I got after the IBA from <laughs> from both of them. Good. Um, like my dad, my dad didn't go to college, but like. My, I mean, my mom did, so she understands a lot more, but he like, he still seems to like really understand that a lot more than I might. He, he's well aware of what that means. And so, um, yeah, I got frantic calls from them of, of congratulations right after that, which was really cool. So yeah, my, I have a very close relationship with both, which is awesome. Hmm. So kind of t taking this all in and obviously you're just kind of exposing yourself to the, the, the next phase of life, right. Which is really when you start to realize that, and obviously like the military will kind of create some limitations yeah. on what kind of freedom quote unquote you have. Like you couldn't just like say, I'm going to go backpack for three months. Cause you have, you know, a, a duty. Yeah, and I wish to. I could. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, so someday soon, right. Your, your, your military, yeah. how long is your required service period? Uh, the minimum is four. Okay. Cool. But so 
I mean, yeah. and you and you told me I think you said you would see how you, how the first four went and make a decision closer to that point whether you would kind of do some kind of mixed thing or stay on full time or. Mm-hmm. But I know you're pretty. You, you're still dead set on going to law school, right? I am. Yep. I think. Yeah. I, I think the plan is. You know, law school is even more expensive than undergrad, and so For sure. I think my my four is my minimum. But if I do a few more after that, I can. You know get a full GI bill benefits and, and try to have that paid for too, which is probably the most realistic thing that'll end up happening. For sure. But also, I mean, with, yeah. with the, the position you have now in Simakai and, and also knowing who you are, I mean, I have no doubt that you could get any kind of scholarship you wanted Thanks. also cover most, most of law school. Right. Um, especially because knowing yeah. the amount of like Simakai adjacent law alums there are um mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. something which is great yeah no it's great it's actually talking to the head of member engagement today about something new i'm working on um that i can't really talk about yet but the long story short it's just like there are so many alumni in sid mckay that are willing to help others that helped me when i needed it and i i i know i'm exactly. currently mentor like close to like half a dozen sigs and i talk to them as often as possible yeah. about you know entrepreneurship and starting new things and they're all I think everyone's just super, the nice thing about it is like, I've been in mentorship programs through like my school and other things. And most people waste your time and just kind of take it for granted. But like, I think yeah. at least the fraternity, like that's never even remotely it's genuine. happened once. Yeah. It's genuine. People are yeah interested yeah. and they're curious. And you say, Hey, go read this book because it helped me with ABC. They'll come back to you a few days later being like, read the book. I have questions, you know, <laughs> and that's, and that's yeah. awesome. Um, yeah. So kind of, I, I want to start threading together everything that we've been talking about and start to understand and kind of dive deeper into like your beliefs and your system. So is there something that you believe in that most don't? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, I wish I could have prepared better for that one. (laughs) Um, I think, well, I don't know. I could take that a lot of different ways. Um, for something for me, um, I, I have like a weird kind of sense and I don't know where this comes from, but something that I really like care deeply about and something I think about all the time, even though I, I'm not at this stage of life yet, is uh, having a successful marriage and, and being as present as I can for my children. Uh, and I think like, I think that's something that really think ahead on and, and mm-hmm. most people don't. Um like that matters to me more than anything. And I, I think it's partially be like most of it probably is because of how I was raised and the experience that I had. But like, you know, I don't know what it is now, but you know, half of marriages end in divorce, which is a common thing. And and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but um, you know, and, and I, I think a lot like the career choice I just made is not conducive whatsoever to being present for my family and and children. And so I'm trying to remember the original question that you said and if I'm on the right track, but yeah, you are. Um, yeah like that, that is something that I, I always intend to, to place priority on. And I've never like, I'm not there yet in life. I'm not married. I don't have kids and I don't like, I can't say I know what it's like to have kids cause I don't have them and I'm only 22, but um, that's something I feel really strongly about is, is having that, you know, successful family dynamic and, mm-hmm. and being present. And I think, I think I'm like, I don't know what, where this came from or how I got these thoughts, but I think being able to recognize that that's a a core principle for me ahead of time is going to be really helpful in a few years. Because my thought is like, 
if I come to the point where the army is really restricting that and I like, this is, it's going to be like one way or the other, I I'm choosing the other way and I'm leaving, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's there's actually a study that came out the other day, and I know you're Gen Z, not a millennial, but it's saying that millennials, uh, on average, are spending three times the amount of time with their kids as their own fathers did, and it was also three yeah. x that generation before, right? And then bringing mm-hmm. the boomers, and they were all at war, so there's like zero percent, right? Um, yeah, exactly. But, but but I think it's true, right? It's like I. I thought about that early on as well. And I don't think I realized until I was probably like 24 or 25 when I was dating someone that like, mm-hmm. I just one day realized I like, didn't want, like, I didn't want them to be the mother of my children, you know? And it was like a yeah. very, it was a very jarring experience all of a sudden. Cause it like kind of hit me and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there's no point in this relationship anymore then. Right. <laughs> and that's, and that's, and that's rough, <laughs> but like, at least you're, at least I'm honest about it. Right. And there are other problems exactly. going on and things like that. But you know, what I kind of realized was like, I had so many friends who were getting married right after college because they, you know, married their college sweetheart or their high school sweetheart, or like they were like yeah. falling in love with the first girl that they saw or they, you know, slept with or right. whatever. And I quickly realized I was like, I was like, I'd lived in New York for a few years. Like you, you have a lot of fun. You date a lot of people. You kind of figure out what you want. Yeah. But I kind of realized in that relate towards the end of that relationship, I was like, I still don't know what I want. Like I don't think I mm-hmm. still like found the archetype of the person that I want to be with. So like, I'm going to go find that. So like through travel and exploration. And I was just like, I wanted to keep looking, you know, because right. I, I think that so many people focus on things like, and they're all artificial, like body count or um, yeah. social view. It like really doesn't matter as long as you're staying safe. And as long as you are being honest and being true to yourself, like it doesn't matter how little or many people you sleep with or how many different things you want to try. Like right. it's, it's important to discover that that type of person that you want. Cause like, I'm a strong believer that like people are like, Oh, there's only one person out there for you. Like I bullshit. Like there are so many people yeah. in this world. You know, I right. like to believe that there are tens and tens of thousands of individuals, um, women that in my case be. that, that mm-hmm. could be, um, yeah. you know, and that's, and they're all kind of fi- fall into this archetype of like who, I think right. that could be, and, right? Yeah, and I think too, like that. It's, that's something that I grapple with all the time. And I that's something that matters, I think, you know, oftentimes more than anything to me. Like I, I have been like looking for that for like all of college and I like mm-hmm. I, I haven't I haven't found it. Like I, and I don't know, I don't know how it works. I'm 22, like I hope I'll just know. I hope I'll know <laughs> like, yes, okay, like this, this is it. And I, I hope that it's that easy and I don't know if it mm-hmm. will be, but, um, I also like, so that's another thing too. And I don't mean to keep tying it back to the army, but like I chose yeah. a career where yeah. I'm here and, and half of the 22 year olds here with me are married or engaged already to the yeah, first person that they about. met. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's insane. I, I mean, I, but, and if, if they're <laughs> your is. sweetheart, if they've been your sweetheart for years since high school, whatever it may be fair enough, I, I'm not. I'm not judgmental about it, but I just think like, at least in my case, I, I, and I also feel bad waiting. I'm like, when is this going to happen? Like, am I taking too long? You know, this, I think that's something with a lot of people my age grapple with now, like Gen Z and, and I guess even millennials too, but you ha- I, I just, I, I have to try to train myself to be patient and just let it mm-hmm. come. And I think you touched on that. So I try my best with yeah, that. There are no rules, right? Um, you know, yeah. I, if my advice for anyone your age is, and it, like this takes into account, like what I learned and experienced is just like, there were periods in my life where I wasn't looking for anything. And there are periods in my mm-hmm. life, I was looking for something. And when I wasn't mm-hmm. looking for someone, I found them. And when I was, I never did. So yeah. I think that just 
I tell people like, go have fun, go meet different people, try it out, but like have a very short, um, like amount of slack in the line. Like if you're seeing Mm -hmm. someone and like, look, there are many people I've dated where like, it was fun and sex was great, but I knew that like, and we had a lot of fun on adventure and things like that, but I knew that it wasn't going to be a long-term thing. So I just didn't see I've had the same thing. that role, but yeah. as long as you're honest, I'm like, Hey, and they might feel the exact same way. And maybe at that point in your life, that's all you want. You know, like you just mm-hmm. want someone to have fun with, and you're not looking for something more. And sometimes that person is devastated because yeah. they thought that you were that person for them. And that's fine. But the worst thing you can do is lie to someone or lead them on. Right. right? So as long as you're being honest and yeah, true to yourself and also like interest change you know like mm-hmm. i i think that most of the tension that comes from in my current relationship is like so my girlfriend is 25 turning 26 in about a month you know mm-hmm. i turned 30 um and a little over half a year so we have like about a four year age gap between us um yeah and like the amount i learned from 22 to 23 let alone 23 to 25 let alone 25 to now is like <laughs> Phil's history books full of full of knowledge in my yeah. own head, right? So I always yeah. tell people like I was talking to one of my best friends who's thirty, who's dating in a very serious relationship with someone like six and a half, seven ish years younger than him, um, sure. and like some we were talking about it, it's like sometimes there are certain things that I just won't understand why my girlfriend is acting a certain way, and I'm just like I think it's just because they just haven't experienced this before. You know, it's yeah. like something that I might have years of experience and that they have zero. And that's that's fine. Like you can't hold yeah. something against someone like you, I would never want someone to hold some of my worst moments against me or when I didn't understand a situation against me. It's like what I try to understand is did they learn from that and are they constantly Absolutely. iterating to become better? Right. Right. Yeah. So because I, I think I, that. Sorry. No, no, no I was just going to say and, and I think in your case, like. And when people are in their 20s, that's a totally common thing to have a few years difference. You know what I mean? Sure. And you're kind of growing together depending on where stage you're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from a psychological view, like, you know, guys, you can disagree with me as much as you want, but I think that the average female uh, is more uh, mature emotionally and intellectually and, uh, you know, so- socially than the average, uh, you know male of the same age i would agree um, yeah but that's just what i've <laughs> learned and what i've seen and that's that's fine and i think that that's i think it's pretty that's very common like you know my dad yeah. is older than my mom and it's pretty much true for every person other relationship i know and i just think that yeah i think some people hold on to comfort right and mm-hmm. and a lot of those people that you're around i'm sure you'll have someone that you work alongside that has you know is 30 and has been married for eight or nine years and they'll complain all the time about their relationship because like yeah. they haven't known anything else and like they're truly not compatible. They just held on to it because like they came from a small town or like that's what they thought or like they were terrified mm-hmm. of the ego idea that like their sweetheart could be with someone else long term. Like I think mm-hmm. I think exactly. it's mostly ego, right? It's like, you know, yeah. In order for you to go out and experience something else, you have to give your partner permission to do the same. And most people aren't willing to do that because it fucks their ego. Right. Right. Um, yeah. When unfortunately most people, if they just took kind of a breath of fresh air and took a step back, they'd realize, oh, um, this isn't it. This isn't it. You know? Right. Um, and I mean exact yeah, like for in my case, for example, I I I have always had that kind of like back and forth with comfort and not and I, you know, I ended a long-term relationship prior to leaving Chicago and, you know, joining the army full-time because 
I, I, like I loved it. It was great, but I knew that it, you know, probably wasn't long-term what I, you know, what I needed. I needed to go out and explore and have to deal with being alone and get used to that and be comfortable with that. And I think to an extent, I'm still not totally comfortable with that. And so I'm trying to let the time kind of bring that and, and to be comfortable and then to get to the stage, like you mentioned before, like where I'm not looking and it just kind of comes. I'm, I'm hoping mm-hmm. that that's what happens, you know, but yeah, walking away from that comfort is something that a lot of people can't do and it's really difficult, but yeah, it's definitely a person, an ego personality thing. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think that, um, you know, you and I were talking about where you should live in Seattle, because I'm obviously recording this from Seattle right now. Yeah. And I know that the base is down towards Tacoma, which for people that don't yeah. know, it's like, not that far as the crow flies. But if you're stuck in the traffic cycle, like it can add hours to your day. But I think mm-hmm. something that you and I were talking about is like, where your base is, is not a place where you can just like, go out and meet people or go see a show or go to a museum or go have a nice meal or just walk to get your groceries. Like you're very much like in like a weird mix of like suburbs and industrial area with like not a lot of young people and people interested in like, you know, uh, doing what they need to do. Yeah. Young people things or just, or just like, just like fun. Like that's my biggest thing is like, I, I loved living in New York because there's always something going on. Right. I and the energy. Yeah. yeah. And the energy that and then one day you will. Like if you want to, you will. Right. <laughs> and and yeah. and one day and and like the energy there of just like I would leave the office and it's at 10 PM exhausted, but just walk outside mm-hmm. and like people are still working, people are still chatting, people are still dating, people are still like it's yeah. the, the night is young. You know, tomorrow is not that close, but it's still, you know, coming quickly. And that's just kind right. of the vibe. And you know, I'm not saying Seattle's anything like that, but like a city will always bring more energy than a suburb or a industrial zone. And so like I was telling you, like, yes, you may be spending an extra, you know, extra time commuting, but how much time are you going to lose and how much life are you potentially missing out on by not living near people that share those same views and interests? Right. Or, or, yeah. And I, um, I, and I totally agree. And I, I've always had this weird, like, this kind of energy, like where I always needed to be in a place where everything, like where so many things were going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that came from like being an only child or growing up like in a city or near a city that had that. Um, but like, you know, a lot of people I know hate would, would not want to live in a city. And I think that's just because mm-hmm. of the career I chose. People come from, you know, the middle of nowhere, which is fine. But um like I need that kind of like stimulation, you know, and I think in a lot of ways, Chicago gave that. And that's why it was so hard to leave. But my, my family is from New York. I've never lived there, but I, I understand. Mm -hmm. And I've always like, I want to, I want to experience that at some point or another. Um, yeah, I know. I know. And I, I, uh, I, I don't know what Seattle is like either, but I think, yeah, I think living there in the city will be much better off for me. Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, having proximity to what you need and wants. Like I, I love Seattle because like I love the outdoors. I also love the city. But to be fair, as I get mm-hmm. older, like what I where I want when I am single or like in a relationship without kids or marriage, like is different than what I think I want to do with kids. Right. Like yeah. I've talked to my current girlfriend about this, but you know, she has a farm in upstate New York. And, you know, if we mm-hmm. went down that path, then, you know, there would it's either that farm or a different farm somewhere else but i'd love to raise kids on some kind of like homestead near a major city um where they get to like spend time outside and get work in and spend time with animals and working the land and like Mm -hmm. i think that's a very important relationship to build with 
um, especially young children. And it just like, kind of gives them that kind of good foundation of, of what they want and what they mm-hmm. can like. But also I need that balance. Like, and, I, and that's the one yep. thing, like if I'm, if I decide to go live in upstate New York, like I'm going to spend a solid few days a month down in New York city. Cause not only do I have all my family mm-hmm. there, but you know, clients, but I'm also going to like still go hop on that plane and go to that new place. Cause exactly. that's just what I need to fulfill yeah. my own thing. And I tell people like, that's fine. Like you don't have to, you know, base your entire, like, I think somebody will move one place and expect that that's the place to live forever because that's what kind of the norm has been the past a hundred years, yeah. but that's changing. It's the same thing with jobs. Like people, mm-hmm. people now, like I'll meet the old guy uh, or girl and it could be through Sibakai, it could be through my career, it could be through anything. And there's always that one dick who's like, um, oh, I see all these younger kids or even kids in their 30s or 40s and they're jumping jobs so quickly and like gone are the days yeah. of people staying at one corporation for 30 years and putting in time. And I'm like, that, that, that ideology is broken. It's not how the world works anymore. Yeah. No, and it's not how it should ever work, right? Like right. If, if you find a place you love and you want to put in time and you want to be a lifer, so to speak, absolutely go for it. But like the amount of people mm-hmm. that like hate their jobs that stay there because they feel like they have to because there's some kind of negative consequence from like society right. or financial means is crazy. And that's like been proven to be not true. Like the grass is green on the other side because it's fertilized with bullshit. But to be fair, it's like the smart man, the smart farmer buys fertilizer and the poor man waits for his crops to grow, right? Like that's kind of how that works. So it's like, pick your poison, pick what you want. But at the end of the day, like, you know, that's, that's what kind of makes the foundation of everything. I totally agree. And I think, I think the way you kind of laid it out is how a lot of people my age feel too. Like I, you want to balance, like I can't. I could do the upstate New York kind of thing too, but there has to be a city there. You know what I mean? There has to mm-hmm. be both. Um, and I think like, you know, the, the younger generation now kind of reflects a lot of like trends in America that, you know, are changing across the board. Like homeownership is declining. Uh, it's, it's a lot more difficult for younger people to afford a home nowadays and things like that. And that, that can really complicate staying in one place with your job or staying put. And then, so that's why, you know, all of these things are interrelated. Um, but I think for the best, you know, like it sucks that it's so hard to afford a home now for younger people, but mm-hmm. also it keeps you, keeps you moving. It keeps you not in the same, you know, at the same company for 30 years, which is a good thing. It has to, sure. you know. Yeah. But, but I also yeah. challenge that. So, so like you'll read the headlines that homes are becoming less affordable and it's like, if you're being hyper specific about exactly where you want to live and the kind of house you want, then yeah, it's going to yeah. be hard, but that's just like oh, saying yeah. like, I want this bottle of wine from this year from this vineyard. It's like, <laughs> yeah, of course, like that's what supply and demand is. But you know, as my girlfriend did yeah. and building a house, it's like you, people would be surprised. Like I'm not saying building a house and buying land is cheaper, but like mm-hmm. you'd be surprised how much it is compared to buying the thing that already exists and the amount of experience you'll learn in the process of building, building something, one. Yeah. but also getting the thing that you want. Um, mm-hmm. I think like to me, to me, you know, my dad's an architect. I grew up with him on job sites and always like fantasizing about designing and building my own house. And he has too, mm-hmm. and he's uh, working on him and his, his wife. So my stepmom are also architects um, by trade and, mm-hmm. um, and schooling. And they're like building their first house together right now as they're like, summer vacation house up in vermont and it's awesome because like they they're they're like putting my dad's on version like 68 of the house of like just changing (laughs) everything and that's super cool like and i i find that to be very inspiring and and very kind of um interesting to see like what he does and what he's been doing and where he takes it but like for me i've kind of realized that like 
I think that if you're someone that values creativity, that values what you want, like mm-hmm. buying the house that everyone knows exists down the block in that nice neighborhood, that's cool. But like, what about buying a large stretch of land, building the exact house you want, and then filling the rest with like animals and plants? Like that sounds pretty fucking great. You no, know? I totally agree. Yeah. So, Absolutely. but I think that's where it's changing, right? It's like people are like, you know, you'll hear people complain saying, you know, it's so ridiculous and unaffordable to buy a house. And it's like to a couple that makes combined seven fifty a year at Amazon in Seattle. And they're looking to buy like a penthouse apartment <laughs> at 30 in downtown Seattle for like that costs like four or 5 million. It's like, yeah, but like if you're making that much money, like you could go buy a swath of land 10 miles West of the city in the mountains and build a farmstead and build some ridiculously awesome house with all the creature comforts and otherwise things you need. And like, I think I think there's still a strong amount of people that want to signal to other people that they have wealth or money or status, right? And that's where like yeah. that drive for the housing market of like houses are becoming less affordable. It's like, yeah, because I think this generation more than anyone else, because of social media, because of what luxury brands have done to co-opt like the the value of of desirable products. Um yeah. People people want that house that everyone knows they bought. But if everyone's just looking for a house that works best for them, there is no housing problem. There is no housing shortage or affordability issue. It's like, you just have to figure it out because more and more people are moving to like the, the B and C tier cities or even the D and E tier towns, you know, the like, well, the like Jackson holes or we really call that. Like, that's not a poor place, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I'm not thinking about wealth. I'm just saying like people are moving to like rural Texas and creating new communities or rural Nevada or like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Spokane and Western Eastern Washington where, you know, yeah. Washington state is, it's, it's blowing up. So many people are moving from Seattle to there. Right. Well, um, yeah. And I, I think too, is that like, there's a reason that cities like Austin and Atlanta and, and cities like that are booming because also like if you're younger, if you're not looking to buy a home, you know, living in New York is, is more expensive than it's ever been. People mm-hmm. my age, depending what your job is, like can't afford to, to live in New York city or, I mean, yeah. Chicago is much more affordable, but still I, I assume Seattle is more similar to New York than, very than much Chicago similar. is. Yeah. But, and <laughs> yeah, it's expensive. Yeah. So that's why those, those smaller, you know, you said B tier cities, that's why they're, you know, really booming because it's, it's totally different and it's affordable. Yeah. But I mean, that's fine. And, and like, because New York's that place where, you know, you'll have immigrants barely scraping by and you'll have people buying $150 million apartments overlooking Central Park. <laughs> like, like it's both, yeah. both exist within miles of each other. And that's, and there are very few places in the world where that exists. And it's because it is truly yeah. a place where anyone at any level can find growth and value and time. And that's why yeah, it's like, I agree. Mm-hmm. Seattle is such a lovely city, but doesn't have that. Right. Yeah. Um, of course. You know, it has amazing, like I'm a, I love concerts and the, and like it, there are plenty of like the niche artists and also the popular artists that come here and, and perform, you know, like there are mm-hmm. thriving sports teams that are usually pretty good. And so like your sports yeah. team ever so often will come through and play, especially through basketball and I guess basketball's not here, but right. uh, hockey and baseball. And then if you're baseball, lucky with yeah. NFL, then, you know, football you might have too. your team come in. Right. Um, you know, Seahawks yeah. were, you know, they won a Super Bowl and then lost to oh. Patriots. Right. Um, so yeah, I, but yeah, yeah I, I guess, I guess the point I'm making is like, I, I was talking to my girlfriend about this. Cause like I, I have, we have a decision coming up pretty, pretty soon here where it's like, we have to decide whether or not, or, you know, I, yeah. I, as way I told her, it's like, first off, it's your decision whether you want me to live in your house. Like it's your house, it's your land, it's your farm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I need that. Yes or no, because I'm not going to make a decision if I decide yes, and then you say no, then it's like, okay, there's no decision. Right. So yeah. 
I need that to be kind of cleared. It then gives me the ability to say like, okay, it is a possibility. Do I want this? You know? Yeah, um, of course. And it's always like part of me does, but part of me doesn't. And I've, I've been very honest about that. And again, the reasons why I don't want to live there and the reasons why I do. And the, the basic thing is like, there will always be compromise. There'll never be a perfect place to live. And eventually you can right. find that place. But even, even her and I have talked about, it, it's like, you know, there are other places we'd like to own property together and spend time in besides there. You know, it's like mm -hmm. she's, what she's mm -hmm. starting up requires her to be in person for the next few yeah. years easily. Um, yeah. and that's fine, but that is not going to stop me from still moving around and exploring. And then beyond that, like I told her, I was like, I don't know where I want to raise my kids. It could be here. It could be somewhere else. It could be a foreign country. I don't know. It could be the moon, but like, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm too, I think both of us are too young to make the decision now. So like, as long as we're both open to difference in Absolutely. the future, then that, you know, also, I think to yeah. kind of wrap up that, 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 that point is like, because she spent so much of her own money a lot of what she had building this house. It's very hard right. to imagine living somewhere else when you're that of young, course. having to spend so much money on something. You're like, I just spent right. so much money building this. I don't want, I don't know if I want to be anywhere else, you know? Um, but of that course. could change. It could not change. I have a gut feeling that it would change, you know? Um, yeah. So we'll see. And I think when the time comes, that'll probably be one of the biggest decisions that, you know, you've ever made. And that's, it's good to stay flexible. Yeah. So. I think I feel like I have so many, so many of those decisions though. Like I've left so many jobs and moved across the country and relationships and did things like that. And they're all like big decisions. And like, I'm not like, it, yeah. it could be massive, but also could not be. But I think that, I think people over index some decisions and under index others. When in my mind, I think mm -hmm. that most decisions are big and important decisions. And you, it's, it's amazing. Like how, how how a decision that seems pretty minute at first is actually like a top, a crucial yeah. right like you know mm -hmm. simple decisions you make in college whether they're for the good or the bad can have impacts yeah. the rest of your life um if you're mm -hmm. talking financial most people don't realize that like if you take out a car loan for a sixty thousand dollar car it usually drops your buying power mortgage wise by like yep. four or five x the cost of the car so you could lose like 300k in buying power after taking out a loan for a sixty thousand dollar car you know, um, and, and, and those yeah. are like little things that have massive impacts on your future. Um, and also it could go the other way. Like I've taken jobs in the past that have paid so little compared to what I could have been making, but I learned so much it set up the best mm -hmm. of the rest of my future. And that decision was huge. Right. Absolutely. And I, yep. And I think that's a critical thing. And I think too, with the, like the financial literacy thing is that the, young people don't know they, they're not taught well enough you know how to make more responsible decisions and to not take out that loan for the really expensive car or whatever it may be and i don't know you know where to find that solution but i think that's kind of a failure on on the part of the education system for not preparing mm -hmm. you know brand new graduates to be to, to make better decisions like that and especially again in the career i'm in decisions like that are made constantly for sure because people just don't know better you know and, and that's yeah. part of Part of your role as a leader, especially as, as trying to educate people on that and to look out for their best interest. Yeah. And I think some of it too, it's like, it all comes back to status, right? Like why do most people buy nice cars? Like they don't buy them because of their right. capability or features or what it means to them or what the kind of investing could be. It's just because it shows off to the world that they own this car, right? That's like that's most the culture most that we live in. Yeah. Sadly.
right? Like the amount of people that I'm sure on base will drive some ridiculously overhyped and lifted pickup truck to kind of like show off to other men. And like that only is attracting other men who also like that type of constantly. Right. 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 That joke is made here all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what's the point? But like, I think you and I were talking about this. It's like, if you decide to live in Seattle and you were like, I want to buy an electric car, you're like, okay, just based on current pricing and access, like, Tesla Model 3s are expensive, Model Ys are expensive, but like they hold their value. You'll get it back and now you'll save out of that. And then also like to have a comfortable place to sit that's safe in between your commute, like that could be worth more than the car is actually worth, right? Yeah. And so I tell people, I'm like, if you have the money and you want it, then go for it. But if you don't have the money and you want it, then think about why you want it. And if you don't have the money and you don't want it, then don't buy it. There (laughs) are people that don't want something and don't have the money for something that buy something. That's a lot of America, right? I know. So it's like, do you actually want that fancy Gucci belt that costs $400? No. You just just want to show it to everyone else that you, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I have this debate with sneakers all the time because I have a few really very nice pairs of, you know, like very limited special sneakers. And I just love, I love the story. I love, I love the design. Yeah. I love where they come from. I don't care how much they cost. It's also a sick, and people say like, those shoes only attract other people who also like those shoes. And I'm like, I know, but the amount of cool people I've met for people that have stopped me in the street being like, <laughs> yo man, I love your shoes. And then we'll talk for a while. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, okay, cool. Right. Some people See, wear them because they're just trying to signal because they spent this much money on shoes, but not Right. Usually. And the shoes you're talking about are a totally different thing than huge lifted pickup trucks. You're attracting a totally, you know what I mean? So totally different person for sure but also driving a tesla attracts a different type of people you know yeah yeah um it's there's always a just like driving a prius does right but at least a yeah. tesla it's fun to drive priuses are not fun to drive um, they're also very ugly <laughs> I would, yeah i would agree and they have a very negative not especially in the army like you don't want to drive the prius to the base like you're never going to live that down <laughs> I, right i drive a similar car right now but you know, it's, it's fine. You're also like, I think there's a level, right? It's like, if you made a ton of money and were older and you still made a decision like that, then that's your choice. But like when you're, when people are fresh out of college, like, I don't really care what yeah, they're I'm trying to save money. Ready. I'm driving exactly. whatever I have. Yeah, for sure. And, and whatever you have now is probably the best car. And like, you'll hear that advice so often on like those financial literacy podcasts are like the best car, you, the best car for you is the one you currently own. You know, and if you don't want yeah. a car, then it's one that is minimally expensive. But, you know, right. nowadays, if you run the finances, like I was talking with a friend recently about like, they were like, should I buy a used car or buy a new Tesla? And they were like, I was willing to spend like 20 to 25 grand to get a, nowadays in the current used car market, to get a car that works, that isn't going to break yeah. down, that will hold some of its value. They're not going to spend thousands of dollars to repair. It's about between 20 and 30 usually. And then when you look at it, and then you look at the cost of ownership, like you're spending a couple thousand dollars a year easily on repairs and maintenance and gas, and it's going to increase as the car gets older. But you look at buying a new Tesla, and you're like, okay, it might be forty to fifty thousand dollars after like, and then you could bring it down more with tax incentives and other things like that. But you're like, okay, you're not paying for gas, the charging right. bills are minimal, and the maintenance is non-existent. And you could also like turn around and sell it if you absolutely had to and take maybe most of 10 to 20% loss. It's like, it yeah. may be the more expensive car. It may be even the flashier option. It's definitely the more better performing car, but like it's the better financial decision. And I think that that's, and, and I'll have some, I'm sure people listen to this that are super hardcore finance people or like that are penny pinchers or whatever that will get mad at me for saying that. But like, it's true. It's like, sometimes the more expensive thing is the best financial decision. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and I think my mom and dad always were kind of key in imparting that to me. Like, I don't wear anything from fast fashion, like a Zara or an Amazon or a Fabletics or Gymshark or anything like that. Like, I will buy the higher end version that'll last me for years. You know, like I have right. like, I, I was saying about this, I have three pairs of shorts. They each cost me $200 each. They're made from a brand called Valence, which is the streetwear company of Arcteryx. They are super light. They are super comfortable. They have great pockets. They look very good. They're, they're, they are easy to clean. They're, mm -hmm. you know, they, they last a very long time. They have a lifetime guarantee. They're like kind of the perfect short. And I have like a, a light gray, a black and a green. Right. And I was thinking, yeah. I was like, those are the only three shorts I own. I'll probably get like 40 to 60 days of wear from each of them a year. And they'll last me mm -hmm. like three to five years before they get replaced or fixed for free. And yeah. so when you're like, okay, so I spent $600 on three pairs of shorts, but that'll last me for five to 10 years after replacements and repairs of shorts. Like yeah. even if you're buying the cheapest shorts you can find at Uniqlo, you're still going to spend more money. Right. Yeah. And so exactly. it makes no sense. And I'm also enjoying exactly. wearing these more than I would the cheap, uncomfortable, poorly fitting pair from Zara, you know? Absolutely. I totally agree. And like me as a, you know, as a, as a 22 year old trying to save money, what I've done, I've done the same thing, but I have like, I have three shorts from Lululemon that I just wear all the time. For I sure. just rotate and they're like, you know, they're expensive for me, but like I spend what I spent $250 for three pairs of shorts and it's all I wear most of the time, you Correct. know? Yeah. And, so, and it doesn't and they, matter whether you're, whether you're getting the muddy or dirty or crawling along the ground or fall down and scrape your yep. rest of your body. And I'm like, I had, I was early in the Lululemon game back in 2009 when I first started wearing Lulu when I was in high school, cause like Lululemon came to my town. It was like the first one on the East coast. Yeah. And they were like testing it there. And I had those shorts through the end of college and ended up selling them because I just like, I've had these shorts for 12 years. I don't want to see them anymore, but they were still fine. Yeah. And someone ended up buying them yeah. from me on eBay for 40 bucks. And I think, I think my dad gifted them for me on like my birthday once. And they were like 60 bucks or like 55 bucks new in 2009. And I was like, yeah. so I got 12 years of use and ended up making most of the money back. And that's insane. Yeah, they're great. Right? And they that's hold their I value wear. too. Yeah. And that's, that was the thing. It's like, I used to be all Lulu. And then I gave one of those Instagram athletics companies, ASRV, a try. And I got their shorts. And they're just not as good. They don't really? last as long. They're not as comfortable. I've had, of the six pairs I bought, I think four of them have failed in like a less, oh. than, a, less than a year and a half window. Um, my other Lulu shorts I have, they're all going strong. Um, yeah, yeah that's, that's a great example, especially for like, because you'll have basic shirts that you're going to want to wear underneath your uniforms. And like, you could mm -hmm. wear the standard issue cotton shirt, or you could buy like a nice, super comfy, soft Lululemon shirt that's wicking away your sweat. And it, although it's more expensive, it's just a far more comfortable thing to wear every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing too, with wearing, like you come to find with wearing a uniform all the time, you're just looking for things that are the most comfortable. It doesn't, yeah. that's one of the cool things. Like it doesn't matter about appearance. You're in uniform anyway, but you're looking for like boots and socks and shirts that make it a lot more, you know, more enjoyable, I guess, to be in it all the time, you know? Yeah. Especially shoes. Like that's the one thing it's like. The shoes matter I, so much more than yeah. people realize. Yeah. yeah. Just, just to be comfor comfortable, make sure they fit properly, make sure you're not having any foot problems. Um, you know, yeah. I'll spend money on like, especially athletic shoes. Like I go on a lot mm -hmm. of walks. Like I probably walk on average eight to 10 miles a day. Um, and on top of like the workouts and exercise I do. And 
so I'll, I'll go through like three pairs of sneakers a year just from abuse and people think yeah. I'm crazy for replacing them. But like, look, I'm like, look, like I get what I need to out of them. Like I'll spend a, a couple bucks a day to have a, like a nice pair of shoes that, that work well and fit to my feet. And then I'll, I have no problem buying a new pair, you know, like I'll right. recycle the old ones and buy a new pair. And that's just how it is. You're getting going. your money. Yeah. You're getting the value. Absolutely. And if someone made a shoe that was comfortable, that could last longer. Sure. But like, I've found that most rubber-based sneakers um, don't last that long. And I've tried like cork and yeah. other replacements and they're just not as comfortable and end up kind of messing up my feet a little bit, you know, and that's not worth it to me. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I started wearing like Hoka running shoes. I don't mm -hmm. know if you're familiar with, yeah, yeah. and they're great. Like, I mean, I haven't had them for that long, so I don't know how long they'll last for, but they're like the most comfortable running shoe I've ever had. I don't even wear them to run all the time. I just wear them out and they're great. So yeah. no, that's, expensive, that's, you know, but it's worth it. No, for sure. But I, th I think kind of wrapping this up as I tell people, it's like sometimes the more expensive thing is the cheaper thing. And most yeah. people hate when I say that, um, <laughs> you know, and also like I, I have a significant problem and uh, let me, let me follow some immediately because some people are immediately going to shut off this podcast when I say this, but um, <laughs> I have a problem with people who live within their means. Um, and what I mean by that is that not, I'm not, I'm not saying your means that like most people do when they're like, oh, you just don't spend beyond your budget or you don't like live lavishly. You're like, I, 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 I agree with that too. Like don't spend money you don't have, but also sometimes like if the option is spend most of your money on something that's high quality, that'll last you a long time or save the money to get the cheaper thing. Like I always go for the longer term option. Right. Absolutely. And I think yeah. that like, you know, there's an Oscar Wilde quote that goes like living within your people that live with it yeah. from a lack of imagination. And I think that's true where it's like, cause like you, I, I think people look for a means to an end and not a means for more. Right. I agree. And I, I think, but I think sometimes, you know, depending on what, you know, financial state you're in, sometimes you have to wait and you have to save and take your time in order to buy that more expensive thing that will then last you longer, you know, and, and that investment sure. oftentimes is worth it for even, you know, the smallest of things. But, you know, we, we talked about that society that we live in where it's like, I have to, I have to keep, you know what I mean? Kind mm -hmm. of people. Feed have to into keep that, I feel like. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, if someone asked me like, what are the, what are the best, what are the best things I've spent money on the past years? I'll probably say it's all travel related. Right. Um, Which is if, worth it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is worth it. <laughs> and if someone yeah. bound me to like physical objects, all the physical <laughs> objects that I've bought recently that have added to my life, if, if you take out like, so. I always take the easy cop out, which is like your phone or your Apple watch or your like iPad mm -hmm. or computer. Cause those of me are tools. They're not even like devices or nice to haves. They're like, I have to have those to, to operate in the world and have the, the yeah. career I have. Yeah. Right. But beyond that, everything else that I, I think is added the most value are all almost like things related to health and fitness. They're like mm -hmm. that pair of hokas mm -hmm. you're talking about, or like I bought the thousand dollar Normatec compression sleeves for the legs. Um, huh. and I spend like two to three hours a day in them. Cause someone who, you know, spends a lot of time on a bike and hiking and walking and squatting mm -hmm. and, and doing a lot of lifting. Like yeah. it's basically like having a sports massage every single day and waking up the next morning, feeling zero fatigue and having your That's body crazy. like fully flushed and feeling amazing <laughs> and never worrying about injury or strain. People are like, you spent a thousand dollars on that. Like, let me break it down to you. I was like, imagine you spend a thousand dollars and they, the sleeves last easily five, six years for you to replace something. And like, imagine, let's just right. say five years for five years, you had the equivalent of having a sports massage every single day. You reduced your chance yeah. of injury by significantly mm -hmm. and you were just yeah. 
in far less pain and enjoyed life a lot more. Right. And then I was yeah, like, even a- if you're making $30,000 a year, I wouldn't recommend buying them if you're making that little, but like, even that's a, <laughs> still a, a minimal investment over five years. Right. Right. And it's a long-term, you know, health and fitness benefit. That's really, that's a perfect example of something that I would have to save to get or should not be getting right now. But yeah, like I, I absolutely, it's something that when I could, I, I would. You know? No, for for sure. But I also tell people, some people are like, oh, I'll never buy that. And I'm like, okay, but you spend a hundred dollars every Friday and Saturday night going out with your friends, like spend right. 10 less days a year doing that, um, or five weekends less a year doing that. And you could buy them and you'd probably be healthier and happier by not going out and raging face with your friends. No offense. So, yeah. And I, I think thinking more long-term, even for the littlest of things, especially like, like physical fitness and things like that can be such a critical thing for for living longer and being happier. And I think it can be hard to, to think that way a lot of the time and it makes a big difference if you do. Yeah. I mean, I think so many people waste so much money on things they don't realize. Like for a while, I just, when I was living in New York, especially, and I didn't have very much money. Like I, I, I've always had, you know, uh, for a long time, my life I had a pretty unhealthy relationship with food. I've, I've mostly moved on from to this point, but I was like big into binge mm-hmm. eating and eating unhealthy foods. And like, I would love going out for lunch and making and doing things. And I realized that like over the past, since I graduated college, I've probably spent like probably close to like $15,000 a year extra on food. I didn't need to eat. And like, I could have just made something simpler or better. And that's a lot yeah. of money over eight years. That's what, uh, $120,000. That's a lot of time. I'd love to yeah. have for sure. But like everyone yeah. has something like that, whether it's like clothes they're not going to wear or um, right. going out and getting drinks with someone or like make, you know, spending, more, you know, it could be as simple as like getting a car that you can't afford and getting a higher interest rate and you're paying the difference in interest that you need to be paying. And so like, I think the average person has something like that. That's like sneakily adding up that they're just like, Oh, it's 20 bucks here and there. But if you look at over the past 10 years, you're like, Oh shit, that's a down payment on a house, you know? And that's what kind of fucks with me. But so I, I kind of, you know, realized that. And I realized that like, I made a choice in every single one of those moments. I, 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 I refuse to regret anything. But the best thing I can mm-hmm. do is not make the mistake again. I'm, am I going to make this mistake again? Absolutely. But just not on like a long-term, large-scale perspective. Right. Like, and I, I think I, I think to that, you've still realized it much sooner than than most would. You know what I mean? It takes people. It can take people decades to figure that kind of thing out. For sure. And also, like, I enjoyed all this. Like, I was never like, at least with yeah. food, like <laughs> a lot of the times it would be like, I had this thing where well, even when I didn't have a lot of money, like having a really nice, expensive solo meal out when it's like the last thing you can afford, like to me, it was everything. Cause like just having that yeah. experience of enjoying the food and it wasn't made of the healthiest right. food, but like that to me, you know, sometimes made or break me at certain points in my life. And so like, if I, I started to realize if I just took that out and realized I would have been spending more money in the long run on like high quality groceries and the food I should have been eating and taken out, the difference probably wasn't actually $15,000 a year. It's probably closer to like a couple grand, but like a couple grand yeah, right. here, here and Still. there, like, it adds up, but also like at the end of life, like if you're someone who's going to get, excuse me, mad at yourself for spending a couple thousand dollars here or there, like just give up on things like, you really enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for, yeah. For sure. Like, like you can always make more money. You cannot always get more time. Right. And I tell yeah. people that over and over again, cause I've spent a lot of money on a lot of things that most people would kind of shake their head at me if I ever showed them what it was. And I'm like, yeah. look, this gave me so much value and fun. And I didn't even think twice about it. You know, whether it was like a super expensive plane ticket or something else, you know, 
Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say is that that traveling is what I think a lot of people don't take advantage of as much mm -hmm. as they should. And that's something that brings memories and experiences that matter so much more than, and, and I, like, I haven't had the chance to travel nearly as much as you probably have and as much as I would like to, but yeah. I intend to, you know, eventually mm -hmm. once I can. And so that matters to me so much more than, you know, having that high interest rate and paying the difference for a car or whatever it may be, you know, those, those experiences are what last forever. Yeah. I, I kind of realized early on that like travel was not only a defining thing for me, something I, I, I threw myself after and like, I would never take that loan out on the car I didn't need, but I would like put a flight I probably couldn't afford on a credit <laughs> card and pay it off over time. Like, cause that to me, that yeah. interest is worth it. Right. And like, right. Right. And, and I think that, you know, Casey Neistat, who's the YouTuber, I don't know if you're familiar with him, um, who basically mm -hmm. like invented the style of vlogging. Um, he, he always talked about the fact that like he was a poor father at the age of like 19, decided to risk it all, moved to New York, like got a credit card, bought it, like maxed it out, bought a video camera, paid his first two months of rent and realized that he's like, he had two months before he had to like figure it out. And he's just like, I paid so much fucking interest the first five or six years into my professional life, like living a life and trying to figure things out. And he's just like, yeah. the ironic thing is like people shudder when they get this idea of paying interest. But he's like, to me, it was like, that is the cost of me living a life that would have taken me so much to. longer to get to. And like, yeah. now I'm at a place where like I pay, he's like, I paid tens of thousands of dollars in interest, but now I'm at a point where I make that in a week, you know? Right. And he's like, so it doesn't yeah. really matter to me. Right. It's like, it affects your credit score, but like, that's the only really thing it affects. You know, like, oh, it affects your long-term buying yeah. power. Sure. But like, I come from a belief set that like, as I said, you can always make more money. Like you can always find a way to make more money. Like people do it every single day. Like it's not very hard. Either work harder, work more, or change what you're doing. There's always a way. Always. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to an extent for sure. But yeah, the time, the time is what you don't get back. So no, I, sure. I'm totally on the same page. Cool. Um. Well, so I think you and I will are due for a round two sometime in the near term future, hopefully in person. I'll do like a round table with a few other Sigma Kai's and it'd be kind of fun. Of but course. um yeah. to, to get you out of here, um, in like a similar way to others, I have a couple rapid fire questions um that you can answer in as many or as few words as you'd like. Um and I'm gonna run you through these sure. and again, like there are no rules. Um but these are similar questions I ask everyone. So the first is if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself or your family, uh, what problem would you try and solve? I think homelessness in the United States, at least, uh, I mean, a, a billion dollars or you said a billion, I don't even know how much of it, yeah. how much, how much of a dent that would even have. But, um, I, I think that's such a rampant problem in so many of our cities that, it really needs to be addressed and it's only going to be addressed through creative solutions and honestly an influx of money that's that's meant specifically just to deal with that problem but i don't know uh i could go more i won't take too much time but yeah you good yeah i know that. that makes perfect sense um is there a sound that you associate with happiness hmm yeah, actually, it, this is probably way too detailed, but um, when you sit, you know, Chicago means so much to me and like my home and, and it'll always be that way. But, you know, if you sit 
uh, at night on like uh, my favorite beach is Ohio Street Beach. It's kind of nestled mm-hmm. in next to Lakeshore Drive and Navy Pier. Yeah, I've been there. It's great. And yeah, and you can sit there at night and you can just listen to waves coming in, but also traffic going by on Lakeshore Drive. And people hate sirens and sit. I love that. I love mm-hmm. he- it. Gives me like a calming hearing sirens in the distance. And so if you sit there on that beach, you can you can kind of just listen to all of it at once. And for me, like being from the city, that's like that's my favorite thing to just it, it's like calming i love to just sit there and listen to it i love that yeah. um is there a story that your family uh or parents like to tell about you from when you were a kid oh that's a good one um let's see let's see I don't know. Depending how embarrassing I could go, there's uh, <laughs> some I probably shouldn't sure. say. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I don't. I'd have to think through that one. Um, if you think of something, we can always come back to it. Um, if you could send a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area, where would it be, and what would it say? Hmm. Um, and you can even do like a subset of people, maybe like all members of the army or all members of a certain country or like all film blank. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Oh, there's so many different ways I can answer that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think in the army, for example, you you gave me the example, like I, I just like, and I don't know how much of a difference a push notification like that would have, but just like, a way to, to get across to people that they're valued and no matter what they're doing, whether it's the most menial job or seemingly menial, whatever it may be like, you know, the, the work and the effort and the time that you're giving is worth something, even if it never seems like it is. Uh, and I don't know, you know, what I, how exactly I could frame that to make it get across. And, but, um, you know, just a simple like token of appreciation and a thank Mm. you for, for the smallest of things, I think can make a huge difference for people that may be struggling. And in the army, that's a pretty common thing. Um, a, a funny answer I could give too, like a, another side of it is like sending a text message to every single person in Russia, for example, who sees state TV news all day and, you know, has no idea really like what mm-hmm. reality might look like, you know, whether it's war in Ukraine or, or other things like people who don't necessarily get the truth most of the time and don't always know. Uh, I wouldn't even know what to say with that either, but I think that's another one. Something funny or something kind of helping. Yeah. yeah. And a dystopian reality they find themselves in. Uh, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Okay. And then uh, so again, last question to get you out of here on. Um, if uh, you follow through with your dream of having kids, um, mm-hmm. assuming your kids have kids, do would you have any like imparting advice on your grandchildren's generation? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. Um, something that I'm terrible at that I wish I was better at, and I'm still young, so I can still try to improve. But um, I'm someone that lives. I live in the past and the future, and I need to figure out how to live in the present because I still haven't. Um, and the time is just kind of whisking by, and. I don't really know what it means to, to be in the moment. And I think that, you know, figuring that out is different for everyone, but I think, you know, the best advice I could try to give is, is figuring out how best to place yourself 
you know, exactly where you are and to appreciate it for what it is. Uh, and I'm still trying to teach myself that. So I think taking in every experience and every memory and trying to hang on to all of those memories the best you can, something that a lot of people struggle to do, or at least I'd like to think it's not just me. Um, but yeah, I think just, you know, just being there, being, being there and not, you know, or being here and not there, I think is a better way to put it. And just trying to appreciate that, um, is, is something that, you know, the best advice I could probably give. That's awesome. Anything else you'd like to, uh, share or say or plug before we uh, get you out of here? I'm, I'm excited to come on the second time. Hopefully some things have, have changed when that comes And but these questions are great. This was like, you, you've got me thinking now about, you know, how I feel about different things and have me kind of delving a little bit deeper in my own thoughts. So thanks for having me on. Right. For sure. I mean, this is always a selfish experience. Cause like I get to ask some of my friends like questions. I, I would, I would never really have the time to ask them during like a dinner or like with other people. Over yeah. There. Yeah. Part one. And then part two, it's like, every time people say something, it always gets me thinking. And then I spend this like time when I'm like, I have to, I should go be doing work, but now I'm off in la la land, like thinking about not really. La -la -land. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, my advice to people is like that, that la la land that people tell you from since you're a kid, like don't spend time in, like that's where you should it's spend most thing. of your time. Right. Like that's yeah, meditation. That's, 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 that that's like figuring state. out your thing. Right. Yeah. Totally cool, agree. Man. Yeah. Well, thank you so much so for coming for on. Getting me in it. For sure. We'll, uh, we'll connect briefly after this, but uh, everyone else listening, I hope you have a good rest of your day. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation between myself and Kellen Brown. You can find Kellen online at Kellen Brown. And as always, you can find me at Rob Auchincloss or Rob is Lost or whatever way fits your fancy. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day. Goodbye.